This is the Leadership to Wealth podcast. On our show today, we have a special guest. I know we always have special guests, but today we have a gentleman who is an industrial real estate broker. Now, I'm sure you've met many uh, realtors and real estate agents, but he specializes in the area of industrial real estate. What does that mean? What does that qualify as? You're going to get to find out about that, about life, the lessons that he's learned, and so much more. Today, my guest, Chad Griffith. Chad, uh, welcome to the show. So glad to uh, have you with us today. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm really excited to be here, Neil. Yeah, I'm I'm. I'm really interested in getting to know uh, a number of things about you. I, I have to start, actually, wait, before I start in with my questions, why don't we introduce you a little bit? Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your background, where you're from, and uh, what you do? Because uh, what you do is also very unique. And and you've gone niche in in a niche space by going specifically industrial right in the commercial space i'm i'm sure you get into the other other aspects as well but what obviously speaking with the architect uh took you down that road but what is it about industrial real estate that that captures you and keeps you there yeah and, and like i mentioned i i stumbled into it i i didn't fully understand it when i got into it but what what's what sparked my passion for it very quickly was just realizing how big the market actually is so in my market there's about 150 million square feet worth of industrial space and most people just don't know that like toronto is as an example there's there's about a billion square feet worth of just industrial space uh you go to some markets uh chicago is a billion square feet uh the inland empire in that region in california there there's almost two billion square feet so it really is this big massive industry that has almost been out of the spotlight for for most of of the 20 21st century here because people don't realize it. it's tucked away in business parks uh it's not it's not front and center like people just don't drive by it all the time yeah. so they don't understand that there's this massive industry uh, uh but, but i think the last stat that i heard is in north america there's about 20 billion square feet worth of real estate total uh mm. and the aggregate value that's 1.5 trillion so it is wow. big business but a lot of people just don't realize that so it's either people that you know have a company and they occupy real estate uh that they might know about it or if it's a professional or a consultant they might have some knowledge on it but aside from that there just really isn't uh, a lot of expertise in the area at least publicly known expertise so right. i just looked at it as an opportunity where this is something i could become a legitimate expert in and I, i'm a, just a big believer that the more value you can give somebody the more your worth uh and, and that's proven to be a, a true thesis on that is uh by becoming an expert and just knowing it very very well i can offer something to someone that they otherwise wouldn't have yes yes absolutely i i love what you're preaching right now um a lot of people are especially when you start into some of these industries you think oh let me do as much as possible i can do this i can do that and i and what happens is you never get good at any one thing. Yep. Um, and, and you can't really differentiate yourself from, from other people. And I remember um, I'm, I'm obviously in finance, I'm in specializing in private lending. And one of the things that, um, that I found was that people, uh, I remember brokers actually going, why are you doing that? <laughs> right? Like, you know, you should come over here to the residential side and, and do that. And, um, and now, of course, they've changed their mind on that. But um, <laughs> but you get good at something. And I think there's even value to the human ego, right? To to the to our confidence mm -hmm. uh, to actually be able to get good at something and be known uh, as good in in some area of your life. Can you say anything to that? I, I would agree completely with that, Neil. I, I, I think 
that's why doctors and lawyers and accountants have the swagger that they do. Uh, it's rightfully been earned by them spending yeah. so much time in education and so much time practicing their craft. I think that yeah. th that does bode very well for, for their confidence and just for, for them knowing that they can offer something that their, their neighbor can't, you can't just go on and yeah. Google uh, a complex health problem, even though I'm sure that there are people that are, you have to see a doctor. So having that, right. having that very specialized knowledge, uh, I, I'm sure that that's, that's contributed to them as who they are, but for sure, that's definitely given me confidence in knowing that, that I have very specialized knowledge, which a lot of people don't yeah. have. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can actually speak on a topic and, and sound smart. We can sound smart when we, when we speak on the specific topic. Um, absolutely. And, and so let me ask you now, having been in this space for so many years, you're, you're clearly an expert on it. Uh, you know, you go onto your YouTube page, um, you know, which here, uh, which is industrial real estate, um, there's you've got tons tons of videos talking about industrial real estate how do you stay motivated in this space in this game after you've learned so much and been at the top for so long yeah another great question i i, I as much knowledge as i think that i have I, I, I also recognize that it's a never ending cycle of having to mm. continually learn more and the industry is changing. There's new technology coming in, just the design of warehouses changes over time. Uh, even yeah. more, even more importantly than that is just the market changes, right? Like there's a building will sell or a property will lease, or there's a new tenant that comes into the market. So just having to stay on top of all the, the changing dynamics in the market, which changes daily. Uh, I, I find that fascinating. I, I, I really really enjoy being in a business that that I'm not going in and I'm doing the same repetitive task every single day and just punching a clock and waiting to get out. I'm driven by the desire that I need to stay on top of this, not just for my business, but also for my own investments. Yeah. Uh, so it's 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 become my career, but it's also become more of a passion. And and you mentioned that yeah. that YouTube channel. I really set up that YouTube channel for no other reason than I just love talking about industrial real estate. Uh, I have no expect expectations that it's it's going to be the this massive channel. I just love talking about this. And if there's yeah. one person that listens, great. Uh, I, I, I would talk to, I, I think it might be a little weird if I was talking to myself. So as long as there's, there's one guy listening, I, I guess I, I can, I can feel better about that. But yeah. as you can tell, I, I, I think my knowledge is, is one thing, but I think my passion for this is, is really what just motivates me every single day to get up and, and keep grinding away on this. Yeah, yeah, and and obviously you said you you have your own uh, properties that you manage with that. Yeah. What is it about industrial that makes it uh, makes it so interesting? Or perhaps I, I should ask the other side. Actually, selfishly, I should ask: What is it about industrial that you see uh, the opportunity in versus? I mean, let's be honest: everybody's throwing money into residential real estate. Why in the world? Yeah. Are you moving in industrial? Well, I, I think at one level, uh, and there might even be a bit of a paradox in here, but uh, at one level, it's a very stable asset class. Like we, in 16 years that I've been doing this, there haven't been big fluctuations, uh, even in like the financial crisis of 2008, nine, it, we didn't see a huge drop off. Uh, we, we have, we, the industrial market actually performed very well over the past 18 months. So it's been a very stable asset class. But the paradox is that I think there's also some asymmetries in industrial real estate where people that know it really well can find great opportunities. And the corollary, unfortunately, is that people that don't know it well can lose a lot of money. So I, I, I like it from the standpoint that since I'm knowledgeable and passionate about it, I think I can find those opportunities and exploit those asymmetries uh, as, as a broker or as an investor. Uh, and, and that can either help my clients out or can help my, myself out with my projects. So on one hand, very stable. On the other hand, it's, it's an asset class where if you know it well and you can find opportunities, you can make considerable returns. Right, right. Now, that's, uh, that's really interesting considering what we've seen over the past year and a half uh, with with the impacts of COVID, we, we've seen so many 
on the on the commercial side now i can't say on the industrial side but i can say on the commercial side in general we've seen a lot of issues because well quite frankly people couldn't go out they couldn't go to the strip malls they couldn't do all of these things and uh there was a i don't know what you want a tightrope there where the people that were in those units just couldn't they couldn't afford even the leases and stuff like that so there thereby what is that impact when it comes to the owners of that space but you're saying that yeah, you didn't really, there was no real impact of COVID in the industrial space. Can you speak to that? Fantastic observation, Neil. And and you're right. Like if you were to look at downtown Toronto, uh, there was yeah. nobody in there for the last 18 months. Uh, and a lot of retailers were forced to close. Uh, so my portfolio yeah. was predominantly. Restaurants disappeared. Like hospitality. They, you know, my, hotels. Yeah, yeah. Oh, was, yeah. It was, it was a, it was terrible like it was really really tough for for the tenants to pay rent and by extension the landlords to to make that revenue that they needed for their own operations right uh, absolutely at, at the time so i in my entire portfolio right now we don't have a single tenant that that is uh not current every single tenant is current and one tenant we have in an industrial building uh is a hot tub distributor and we had to give them a couple of months uh uh, we deferred their rent. We didn't even abate it. We just refer, uh, deferred it for a couple of months mm. and they've since fully caught up uh, and are good standing. So our portfolio has been largely. Uh, uh, can can uh, you explain the difference between deferring and abatement? Yeah. So uh, abate would be that you just forgive the rent uh, and then deferral would just be that you try to collect it down the road. So right. some landlords would spread it out over the, over a year, perhaps over the term of the lease. Um, the word I was looking for was unaffected. I don't know. I yeah. stumbled on that mental block, but yeah, so we, we deferred, uh, the hot tub rent by a couple months and they since fully caught up. So we didn't even abate, uh, we didn't have to give any abatement whatsoever. We came through that completely unscathed. Wow. That, that's, uh, that is amazing. And now I'm curious, what do you attribute that to? Do you, is it because of the sectors that were leasing? The, the space? I, yeah, I, I, exactly. I, if you look at the industrial landscape, and, and for the most part, it's either going to be like warehousing or it's going to be manufacturing. Uh, on the warehousing side, all the e-commerce was going crazy. Uh, so companies yeah. were still selling everything. It's just they weren't selling it through the traditional distribution of a retailer. So all these stores needed a lot of warehousing and warehousing has grown considerably over the last 18 months. And on the manufacturing side, people still needed stuff, right? Like, I, I don't know about in your market, Neil, but in, in mine, everybody's getting a hot tub right now. So our hot tub tenant who had struggled at the very onset of this is now doing the best that they've ever done because everybody's buying hot tubs. So that that's kind of trickled down through the whole supply chain of people just liking stuff. People just buy stuff. And that stuff all has to be manufactured. It all has to be made somewhere. And then it's stored in a warehouse for some some period of time until until we purchase it. So I, I, I do think that that's largely what it has been is, is we haven't stopped buying stuff. Companies haven't stopped making it. It all needs to be stored. And industrial real estate has been the benefactor of that. Boom. That is amazing. <laughs> that, that is absolutely amazing. And I love the uh, you know, the down to earth common sense approach behind that. I mean, that, that makes complete sense. And, um, you, you know, I'm a big fan of, uh, investment real estate, specifically multi-unit, multifamily properties mm -hmm. where, you know, that people are always going to need a place to live, right? They're always going to, going to have to stay somewhere. Even if we move all of our entire world to the internet and everything you can do is on the internet, you're still going to have to have a place for your body. Um, but you've, you're actually touching on something that I think is brilliant. There's the market has gone crazy for being able to ship stuff directly to people. And that's just been part of part and parcel of, uh, COVID and uh, you can't go into the stores. So now how do you get stuff? I mean, people are stuck at home, so they're not spending the money in the restaurants that they would have done. So now they're buying stuff from Amazon, shipping it. It's like, watching the uh the vehicles the delivery vehicles up and down the 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 streets 
uh, of people's homes, the subdivisions is amazing. You, you get to know your delivery drivers because they're dr <laughs> dropping off all these packages and you are creating that space or providing that opportunity for the uh, these businesses to be able to house all of all of that merchandise and be able to then ship it out from these points that's absolutely brilliant and you touch on a really good point as well uh, about multifamily because you're right everybody understands multifamily at a, at a like a foundational level like people yeah. need a place to live like that's that's pretty easy to to understand but and i'm not a multifamily expert so correct me if i'm wrong but i i, I know that a lot of multifamily properties trading at like a three three and a half percent cap rate uh maybe more or less depending on the market whereas an industrial is trading at anywhere from a six to an eight percent cap rate so for investors that are chasing yield and and if they can if they can do it properly, and, and again, I'm a big believer in protecting your downside risk, and industrial has a lot of it. But providing you can you can buy a right property, you're just making a much better yield on an industrial property than you would be for a multifamily. All things being equal. Yeah. Wow. Uh, love it. Love it. And and you're right. It really does depend on the markets too, and uh, you know where you're where you're buying those multifamilies. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of speculation in the market, but without getting into that, you and I could probably uh, sit and talk about that stuff and for for a long time to come and enjoy that conversation. Uh, but let let me ask you this question because you you're living in a part of Canada that has been affected by uh, definitely by COVID uh, and oil prices and stuff like that. How how is that impacting the the current markets, the jobs, all of these kind of things, and perhaps even the mood, because I know that I've heard all sorts of uh, news coming out of Alberta with regards to um, people potentially having issues with their homes or their home prices and things like that. And there's a lot of concern coming out uh, from from your neck of the woods. Can you can you speak to that? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. We're we're an oil and gas market, so we we rise and fall with the underlying commodity price. Uh, oil started dropping in 2015, so we're coming on six years now of this. It's been a depressed market from the standpoint that when when your single driving economic force is a single commodity, and that that commodity value drops, you're bound to see. Uh, uh, turmoil in the markets. And, and we have seen that, that the market has dropped, house prices have fallen, uh, commercial values have fallen as well. Uh, I would say that it probably bottomed out around 2016, uh, just going off memory when, when oil was down in like the $30 a barrel range. Uh, it's since recovered from then. Uh, and and I, I actually just talked to a client the other day. I, I think values are probably today where they were in like 2014 i, th I think for the mm. most part prices have have come back uh maybe not on the residential side I, again i just i just don't know that that market as well as a side yeah. from my own house uh but commercial or industrial specifically has has pretty much rebounded to where it was uh 2014 but there's there's still there's still some pessimism there's still people concerned about what's happening notwithstanding the last 18 months of just how unpredictable it's been in general. Uh, but I would say as a whole, uh, the industrial market is a lot more optimistic than they have been going back six or seven years now. So that that business sentiment has is definitely improving. Does that translate into prices going up? Uh, hard to say. My crystal ball is pretty murky, but I, I at least talking to people right now, there's there's a renewed hope that Oil's close to $70 a barrel right now. Uh, once the economy starts ramping up in whole, there could be more demand for oil. Maybe that goes even higher. If that does, I think we'll see the market improve alongside it. Uh, but I, I'm a big believer that my specific market in Edmonton, since we're so hedged to oil and gas, we move in almost lockstep with the, the yeah. price of oil. And other markets aren't like that. Like Vancouver on uh, is a good example. They have sub 1% vacancy right now in their industrial market. And things are on fire there. It, 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 people can't even find things. So it's... I, I'm a big advocate that you need to understand big macro trends in, in anything, right. but you also need to be an expert on your individual local market because there's always different yeah. characteristics. Our market right. is different than Vancouver's. Right, right. Well, well, I'm curious then, because there's been so much upheaval and it's it's been constant, why isn't uh, Alberta perhaps more of a uh, New Democrat uh 
province. Why is it that uh, you guys don't tend to uh, to vote socialist very often? Yeah, that is a great question. I mean, in Edmonton, we probably are an island of orange in a, in a sea of, of red because our province is do, very conservative. Do you bleed bleed orange under there? You know what? I I'm I'm probably the most apolitical guy you'll you'll ever meet. I, I we could probably go on a tangent with that as well. I I've I always just want to keep an open mind. Like it's you look at like the states where it becomes very politicized, and you're either a Democrat or you're a Republican. Yeah. I, I I'd rather just be. I'd rather just be me. I, I'm just trying yeah. to go out and scratch out a good living for myself and my family. And I, I respect people that, that are left-leaning. I respect people that are right-leaning. And I'd never yeah. want to take that staunch position that, that I have to be one or the other. I just like keeping an open mind. And at the end of the day, I'm looking after myself. I don't, I, I try, I, I stay on top of it because it's important from a business standpoint, but I, I am completely apolitical. So yeah. I'm in this, I'm in this ep epicenter of new Democrats, uh, for sure with like very heavy, uh, democratic, but we're in a province that's very conservative. So yeah. I, it, it's an interesting place to be, but even, even with like a liberal government, uh, which isn't necessarily bu uh, business friendly from a federal standpoint, I've still mm -hmm. done very well over the last six or seven years, even through this oil recession. So mm -hmm. I, I also think that regardless of who the political leader is that that's that's there that's happened i'm not going to overthrow the government and i'm not going to have petitions going to to try and get them removed i just going to accept it and i'll try to adapt and do what i can but i'm just a big believer to take care of your own backyard first uh and and there's just more productive things to do than to to dwell on politics so I, maybe that's maybe that's a little controversial maybe every, maybe i just pissed off everybody by saying that but that's that's kind of my position on it <laughs> well okay look if we're going to if we're going to tick some people off then we should probably uh is is covid a conspiracy to take down they tried to take down all the oil conglomerates what what where where do you stand on covid uh, so i I think COVID is is very dangerous for a certain group of people. Like if you're if you're high risk or if you're a certain age, and my my fear, I'm, I've been vaccinated. I support uh, people getting vaccinated. My fear is that if, if there weren't these preventative measures taken over the last eighteen months, what would that have done to hospital capacity and ICU beds? And I heard a story the other day about a woman somewhere in the States who had a stroke, went to the hospital. There were no ICU beds available. They were trying to help her, but there just wasn't capacity. And she died in the hallway. And I have to think that those that, that was a preventative death. If, if the hospitals weren't overrun with COVID cases, that lady would have just got the, the intensive care that she needed. So my... The COVID numbers mean absolutely nothing to me. The 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 rates of infection, although that's just background noise to me. The one number that I really watch is just hospital uh, and ICU capacity, because I think if you get to that stage where ICU beds are filling up, I mean that, that's that's a concern regardless of whether you're going in with COVID complications or whether you're going in with something unrelated. That's that's just a concern to me as as like a, someone living here. So I, I, I try not to focus on all that. There's, there's epidemiologists and scientists and doctors and the smartest people in the world are working collectively on this. Yeah. And there's, and there's all the companies that are putting out the vaccines, which are profit driven enterprises. I, I have to think that you combine that with a government that's trying to help people. Those decisions are, are way above my pay grade. I just want to sell real estate. <laughs> Well, I got to be honest, I'm asking a lot of the, these questions here because um, Alberta is kind of, uh, you know, Canada's Texas, uh, it, it where, is. It is. where you want an opinion, it's going to come out of Alberta and, uh, you know, you're going to get uh, all sorts of stuff. And, um, you know, I've got friends that, that live out there and, um, you know, it's always entertaining to to have these conversations so i'm i'm kind of poking you right now thank you for being I, I a great sport I, I love it and you're right we are the texas of canada and and again i'm i'm kind of in this weird bubble in edmonton where we are a very liberal city uh and the vast majority of people that i know friends colleagues business associates are all vaccinated and and that anti-vax sentiment uh, is uh, is not prevalent in in my circle, anyways. So it, th that's a fascinating thing to me as well. At at, at how 
how people can get so worked up uh, about being anti-vaxxers. I understand it. If they don't want to take it, uh, then that's their choice. There's no government mandates right now, so nobody's forcing them to do it. But I find it so fascinating the amount of time that some of these people spend in doing their research and finding out all these rebuttals on why they shouldn't be taking it. I just think either take it or don't take it, but just get back to work. Like there's just, that's so unproductive spending all the right. time researching on why you shouldn't be taking it. Uh, make your decision and then just move on with life instead of having to try and argue it. And I bet you were, bet you didn't think we were going to go down the tangent of anti-vaxxers on this call. Hey, <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Um, it's not a conversation I normally even get into at <laughs> all, right? There's just too much. I'm, I don't have, any letters after my name to be able to talk intelligently on that conversation. I'll give you my two cents and that's about all you're going to get. Right. So, uh, okay. So here, here's what I really want to ask about our current environment. Um, what do you think the impact is for, for the youth? Because I think you and I probably lived a childhood where pre-internet we were, we would have been outdoors doing whatever. And uh, right now, the youth of today are spent spending their times locked up, electronic, uh, you know, YouTube, TikTok, social media. And, um, you know, my daughter just graduated and is off uh, to uh, post-secondary. No, no grad, uh, no prom, none of that stuff, because, you know, it's COVID. What do you think the impacts are? on on kids nowadays how do you think they're going through this stuff yeah I, I love this topic and and my children are younger so they they haven't had to miss those big moments in life like going to a prom and graduating with your peers yeah. uh like I, I have very fond memories of doing that and and they've and, and your daughter and and others her age have just missed out on that i i think what i'm more concerned about myself uh is for, and for my children specifically but just collectively for everyone is not not what COVID has done but what COVID lit a match under and that's just social media in general I think and I'm guilty of this myself as well I'm I'm 41 so I'm kind of like right on that cusp of of I I didn't grow up directly with this technology but it's been in a, a big part of my life for the last decade or so uh what what scares me is that people are going to become way too dependent on all these digital relationships. And for myself personally, a big, a big factor of my success has been developing a number of great relationships with, with, with people that have, that have kind of served as either mentors for me or have just helped me or put me in touch with people or become clients of mine. Th that those, I, I, I wouldn't be where I am today without those relationships. And I think what COVID has done is it's, it's exacerbated that problem of social media becoming a crutch where, where people can either just feel that they're busy if they're going on Facebook uh, or if they're on Twitter all day. It, it becomes something where they feel that they might have been productive. But I think social media is best viewed uh, for the most part, I think that there are great resources. I love podcasts. I love in educational stuff on YouTube, but I think for the most part, it's just a time trap and there's nothing wrong with that. It's the same as like watching TV, like we all used to do back in the day, but it's become to the point where, where people might think that they're busy doing that now. So you might see somebody checking their Facebook at 10 o'clock in the morning when they should be working. And if they're doing that at 10 o'clock at night and they're doing that instead of TV, that's one thing. But if people start becoming so dependent on social media for, for helping them uh, get to where they want to be, I think that they're going to be very disappointed down the road. And the other, the other problem that I have with it, I, I probably, probably sound long-winded on this, Neil, so cut me off anytime. I'm going off on all these weird tangents. Uh, the other problem that I have with it is I think social media really becomes an echo chamber where we're, and maybe the algorithms even designed to feed, feed us all this, uh, this stuff too. But it, I find if you have one opinion, then you seek out people that share similar types of yeah. opinions. Yeah. And then you also yeah. just get confirmation bias. Yeah. Peer confirmation yeah. bias. And then you start getting in all these arguments for no reason with people that you don't even know. 
Like in, in my mind, there is nothing more unproductive than trying to get into it or getting into an argument with someone that you don't know. You don't even know who they are. They could be behind an avatar. You might not even know if it's a man, woman, kid, what age they are and getting into an argument with them on social media. And you see that like you go on Twitter, you see all the, this string of people pick, pick any contentious uh, topic and there's strings of arguments. And, and I'm just thinking like, there's nothing better that you can be doing right now. And maybe they just have that, that poison in their life, or they just have that desire to want to be toxic. But to me, like there's just, there's so many opportunities out there and spending time behind a keyboard. I think that that's, I think a lot of people looking back on this down the road are, are going to look at this and say that social media was actually a gift and a curse. And people yeah. that use it well, I think will will use it as a tool. And people that are abusing it, I think it's 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 akin to like a bad addiction. Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah. That, we, you know, tell me what we you really think. About, we were talking about industrial real estate. Now we're going down this rabbit hole of social media toxicity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell tell me what you really think, Chad. <laughs> I just like if we I really few... get I really get the sense you're holding back. From us, if, what's going if we on. had a few beers and we were in person, uh, yeah, who knows? I, I, I might have to ask you to stop recording. I don't, I don't even know what I'm capable of at that point. <laughs> well, well, I'll say this when it comes to social media, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It is both a blessing and a curse, mm -hmm. it is an opportunity, and we're here. The amount of information and knowledge that, that we've just provided, that you've provided to anyone listening anyone anywhere on this planet has access if they've got can access the internet they can access this information and learn something that they never would have been able to learn you know i i share the story that growing up uh i grew up in the hood and the there was a point where the greatest thing i could think of to do was be a drug dealer and that made sense uh like, I want to make money. That's how I'm going to do it. I obviously can't do it the other way. I mean, you need money to make money and there's no way to do that. So this makes sense. Um, and, you know, here we are at the at our fingertips. You have this opportunity to get knowledge continually to learn not just knowledge, wisdom. You get to garner someone else's wisdom of having gone down these different roads. Right. Learning. You know, they say there's no manual when you're a parent. Well, go go online. You can find, uh, you know, 100,000 manuals on, on parenting. And at least you can get access to that information. I mean, oh, this is going to sound crazy. Before the Internet, we I still wasn't sure if werewolves and vampires were a thing. Like, that was, there was no you way know. to prove it. Somewhere in Transylvania. Where's Transylvania? <laughs> I don't know. Over there on that part of the map. You know, that's where they are and the Bermuda Triangle and all the rest, <laughs> you know. So so the there it is absolutely the blessing and the curse, yeah. because you're right. So many people can take it and, uh, you know, it they're trying to it's entertaining them. Right. And they're now they're because social media has gotten so good at keeping your attention. Mm -hmm. it, you know, when you normally break pattern, you know, they once upon a time you had to sit in front of a TV. Imagine this, kids. You had to sit in front of a TV and you waited for when the commercial came on and then you'd go, you'd have your washroom breaks, you do this, you do all that kind of stuff. Now on social media, a commercial comes on, skip. you just swipe, skip it, and move on. It's right. On like, and yeah. And so there's there's something about that. Um, and it, you know, on one side, I feel like people can be so much more educated because you can get so much information and you can go down threads and learn so quickly. But I yeah. think on the other side is you can get caught up in in a vortex of, you know, whatever the algorithm wants you to see next. Yeah. And I I I, I bet you would agree with me on this is that there isn't one, one recipe for success. There's not just one right. way you can go and do it, but I think that there are clear things that you shouldn't be doing if you want to be successful. And, and a good example of that would be, you know, somebody that's 
taking a course. Maybe maybe they want to learn more about real estate. So they found something at their local college or they found something online. They're they're taking a course. And on the other side, there's a there's a guy that's on Twitter arguing back and forth with somebody about why the earth is flat. And he spends his three hours that evening uh getting into this toxic argument with no purpose. Like I I think I think I'd be willing to bet on on who the successful person would be. Not that it's a guarantee, not that the guy taking the course is necessarily going to be a guaranteed success, but if I were to bet, and I'm a betting man, I would bet on that that kid being successful much more than the guy arguing with a stranger on Twitter. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Man, that is that is so... It's really something to watch this phase that we're in right now, and, I'm, and I wonder what it's like for kids going through this, because... I, I've seen, I saw what we're seeing right now. I saw it happening, except I thought it would happen in about 20 years from now, 20, 30 years, maybe where people have moved over. Everyone's online. Everybody's doing this, but with COVID, it's just accelerated this whole process. People who would never do online shopping in their life are now doing online shopping. Totally. Right. And, uh, and going there on a regular basis, 10 o'clock in the morning, going and checking what's going on there rather than doing something else that you would have done. And so it's interesting how it's rewriting all of our habits, all of our uh, our entertainment, all of these things. And it will be interesting to see what that impact is, because, yeah, I think in some ways you can get a lot smarter. You can take those courses online. You can. I watched my daughter do a math course in 21 days that you know we would have been doing for months and she did the entire course in 21 days i thought why in the world do we have them in school for you know six months a semester or whatever it is and uh if you can learn that same topic in 21 days and then move them on to the next one how old's your daughter well now she's just about 18 turning 18 right now like another thing that comes to mind and, and a bit of a bit of a rant here as well is that like Hit your, me. <laughs> your daughter is a perfect example of, of somebody that's bucking public's perception of, of like that generation. Cause I hear this all the time that that generation is lazy and, and you could edit this out, but I think that's bullshit. I think, I, I think if you were to look back on every generation, look back in the seventies, all, all these, all these adults who, who now apparently think that the new generation is lazy. They're at Woodstock. They were getting drunk and rolling around naked in the mud. Who are they to talk about the next generation? I, I, I just think that there, there's such an opportunity for people of any age, whether you're, you're 18, whether you're 20, 88 there's an opportunity there but don't let don't let society try to label you as being lazy because i see this all the time there's some amazing people that i meet that are that are 18 19 20 years old that are absolutely driven and motivated and and more technologically savvy than people three times their age so i th- i think the biggest thing that that young people can can get down on is that they think that they're in this generation that's being labeled as as lazy and uh, unmotivated. And I think that's absolutely BS. I, th- I think every generation has that. It's just 18 and 19 year olds in general. It doesn't matter that it just happens to be 2021. It could have been 1970. That generation, people are just trying to figure out what they're wanting to do. And to that point, I think it becomes absolutely imperative that just don't don't succumb to those notions that that you have to be laser unmotivated because I know a lot of very very driven people at that age. But if if you think that society thinks that you're lazy and you just become lazy, then then it's a self fulfilling prophecy. I yeah. I think well, your daughter is a perfect example. Did a a, a month, several month long course in twenty one days. I mean that, that that's hugely impressive. I'm sure it makes you proud yeah. as a dad. I'm sure I'm sure she's proud of it herself. So I I, I see a lot of potential. I I I, I, I maybe sound like a little. A little pessimistic about just what social media is doing to to everyone. I, I don't think that's just kids. I think that's like society as a whole. But I do think that that this new generation coming up is they've got the world of resources, like you mentioned. Everything that they could possibly want to learn about this world is on on the handheld device. So they're going to have skills and opportunities and knowledge that me and you and and people older, older than us just didn't have. So. I'm worried about social media, but I'm still very excited about what this next generation of, of the workforce is going to look like. 
Yeah. So, okay. So tell me what, what do you, with all of that, what do you tell your 18 year old self? If, if you were growing up right now, what, what, knowing what you know now, knowing about all this current environment, what do you tell your 18 year old self? Don't, don't worry about the money. Don't worry about the money. Focus on learning as much as you can and focus on meeting and building as many powerful relationships as you can. Those would be the two things I would, and, and to, to a large extent I did, I focused too much on the money when I was younger. Uh, but I, looking back on it now, when you're, whether you're just getting out of university or you're a young kid, the money will come and everybody wants it, especially young, young guys. I was no different, but that money will come and you're going to want that money later on in your life. At, when you're 18, 20 years old, you just need to get by, just survive, just find a way to survive focus on learning as much as you can and build as many relationships as you can. That's what I, that's what I'll say to my kids. And if I could do it all over again, that's what I'd say to myself. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and, and you're married now. How long have you been married now? Uh, 11 years now, 11 years, 11 years. Yeah. What, what, what would you say on that front? Uh, best, best decision of my life. It's, uh, my, yeah. my wife is an amazing person, even though she hates my book collection. She's an amazing person. Uh, she's a fantastic <laughs> mother. I can't, I can't think what? of anyone else that I'd rather raise kids with than her. I will see. I asked that question because one of the trends that I'm seeing in along that is that people are, or youth are pushing off this idea of even getting married or hitching everything is, you know, I'm not even going to worry about any of that stuff till after I'm 30. And then it's turning into the 35. Now they're looking at, Oh, maybe now's the time. Do, do you have any thoughts on, on that? And perhaps the impact of, of youth pushing off this idea of relationships and starting a family to later and later on? Yeah, I, I would say my, general comment on that is it's very hard to succeed in life by yourself. I, mm. and looking at my own situation, I've got partners in everything that I do. I've got, I'm a partner at my brokerage. I've got four other partners there. Uh, that's my day-to-day -day business. So I, I talk to those guys regularly. I've got partners on every single piece of real estate that I own, uh, different partners in all of it. Uh, my wife and I own our house. So we're technically partners there and we're, we're partners in life. Uh, so I, th I think succeeding on your own, trying to go on this as a solo journey through life is very, very difficult. And I think having partners not only gives you something tangibly, like it might come with money or it might just come with time, but they also help you protect your blind spots. And there's just so many unknowns in, in life and, and investing and in business. There's so many unknowns. And for you to expect to know it all by yourself in my mind is just an unrealistic assumption. So I, I, I can, I can empathize why, with people and why they're, they're want to be cowboys and gunslingers and want to go and do it on their own. I, I get it. I, I understand that appeal. I just know that I have been successful in no small part by the people that I've chosen to partner with. Wow. Wow. I, I, whoever's listening right now, I hope you take note of that. I hope that resonates for you because that is so, so true and such a great way to put it. We understand this when it comes to business, the, the, if you, if you're going to make it at any point and if you're going to grow, you, you have to understand the, the need for partners and for mm -hmm. partnership, um, investing all of that, that kind of stuff. And yet you just put that right down to even in our human interactions, human relationships, this thing called marriage, um, you know, the power of the partnership. And wow, that is that, that's great. I, I don't I hope everyone else is getting what I'm getting out of it. But absolutely, because I look at it and I think, could I have accomplished what I've accomplished without that partnership? Right. Without the the partnership of my wife. And uh, that's really that's really amazing. Uh, thank you for putting it that way. Um, Woo. OK, that's a good one. Um, we, we've OK, covered so a, we've covered a lot of ground. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, you, you know, we're just about coming up on on time. So I don't want to uh, I don't want to go too deep, but I'm like, you know, 
I'm not hearing any uh, hardship in the struggle or in the in the journey. It sounds like uh, things have moved along pretty smoothly for you. There have to have been like sometimes some situations along the way that uh, where you're like, is this thing really going to is this really going to work, whether it be life or business? Yeah. I, I, and maybe I make it sound very rosy. And and I think that that's just my personality of just being an, an optimistic glass half yeah. full kind of guy. I, I, I think that I'm that positive because I, I just learned along the way that nobody wants to hang out with negative people. It just, <laughs> and the negative Nellies. <laughs> they just don't like it's it, yeah. unless it's other negative people. And then they just the misery loves company kind of thing. But successful people and happy people do not want to hang out with miserable people. So I think I'm I'm happy by nature, but I, I definitely stay positive intentionally. That's that's a mindset of mine. But by no means has it been a smooth ride. I've been I've been kicked so many times along the way. When I first got into the business, I was making very, very little money. I was scraping by. At one point, I think I had maxed out credit card, a line of credit. I was living on on like peanuts, probably literally peanuts. Maybe it was like noodles or rice. Like I was literally poor. Uh, so I, I've had financial problems. I, over the last decade or so, it's got significantly better. And, and I've, I've, I've 180 on that but when i first started it was terrible financial pressure uh then then i had you know just all the scrutiny of of why i decided to go into business so the, like the family dynamics of my parents wondering if i was going to make it or if, if i have to move back into their basement so there's tension at the beginning of that and then just life gets in the way too like there's i have constant problems i i I know that pretty much every time I'm getting a, an email or a phone call, I have to wonder, is this going to be a problem or is this something that, that I have to deal with? That that thought crosses my mind all the time because I'm constantly being thrown challenges and problems, uh, health issues, whether it's your family or myself, like there's, yeah. there's constantly something going on, but I, I, I myself anyways, I, I choose to except that there's always going to be challenges that that's just life we're, we're going to constantly be in throwing curveballs we're not going to get that slow pitch right down the middle of the plate we're going to get all this mm. shit thrown at us and having 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 the resiliency to just say Let, let's just figure it out let's let's come to the bottom of it let's accept what this is and figure out a game plan going forward is far more productive than just letting myself become a victim to any of it so i have had i have had and i continue to have problems uh, but i i choose to move forward on the basis that i i want to be happy instead of wanting to feel that that i that all this is life's against me that that's just not a yeah. productive mentality figure out a way to move forward choose to be happy and when you choose to be happy, I find that I'll just smile more. And just the nature of smiling more uh, makes me feel better about it. So I, yeah. I I appreciate you asking that question because the last thing I want to do is make it seem like I've had this smooth trajectory getting to where I am right now. It was it was a bumpy ride. It was not a straight line for me to be. Yeah. Well, I, I it's interesting because I was thinking he had to have gone through something. I mean, there, there it just uh, you realize that it builds tenacity to build something it builds character mm -hmm. in us to go through uh difficult times and um you know one of the things that i've found is that <laughs> i i at this point i think i almost enjoy to some degree the uh coming up on the challenges um because it's it's taking that on that allows me to get to know myself or reacquaint me reacquaint me with me and go yeah we can do this we can handle this let's go you're not gonna beat me and uh and it's it's almost like you learn to enjoy that process of of doing that ah i messed up on this all right so how can i grow how can i what do i need to learn you know how can i get better what how can i improve my value to uh to my family to the people around to my partners uh, as you mentioned, and and I think there's there's something that just comes out of that where you you get to a point where you you almost enjoy to a certain degree the uh, the struggle because you realize that's the opportunity to shine. 
Well, and, and how boring would life be if everything was easy, right? That's uh, yeah. we could look to Tiger Woods. T Tiger Woods had probably the easiest life going up. He was the best golfer of all time, world class. Everybody knew him. It was probably boring. And then look what happened once the guy gets yeah. bored. Things the wheels fall yeah. off. So uh, challenges are good. I share that same sentiment. It's you, you approach it as a challenge, and and there's some things that that are just going to come at you that you can't handle, but it, you just deal with everything as it comes in. You know, there's almost something there to to what you just said there in terms of if either you take on challenges or challenges will find a way to take you on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if if you're not putting yourself out there, then it it's almost funny how he had so much success. He had so many things going right that he almost went and found something to go <laughs> mess himself up with on, on the other side. So that that's really interesting. Um, I, I recognize that we've reached our time, so I, I don't want to hold you too long. Uh, yeah, and I'm sure you've got another Amazon building to, uh, <laughs> to go uh, purchase or prepare for, for them. Um, but I, I'd love to, at some point in the future, be able to have you come back, be able to maybe get into one of those situations and talk a little bit about, um, how your mindset was going into it and perhaps, uh, what, and perhaps you can walk us through how you moved yourself through that to be able to come out on the other, on the other side and, uh, and actually be more resilient, um, out of, out of the struggle was, is that something yeah, that uh, maybe uh, we could hundred percent. I'd, uh, a couple jumped to mind that we, we could touch on, uh, another time. Uh, one, I made Love a it. huge mistake with one of the first buildings that I sold. Uh, and there was a great outcome that came out of that. Uh, and then yeah. another one would just be like a personal health setback with a foot mm -hmm. surgery. I had a few years ago. It ended up being a blood clot, got in my lungs, uh, terrible situation without that one was that was really bad so both of those right. were really negative situations that I was that I was able to uh, uh, to turn into something good so I'd be happy to chat with, about either one of love those or, or both at another time love it love it Chad thank you so much thank you for sharing uh, all the wisdom that you shared definitely look forward to uh, having you on again and uh, getting to hear those those stories and how you navigated that and uh, uh, just thank you for the generosity of your time. I really appreciate it. Well, and a big compliment to you as well, Neil. You're a fantastic host. Like I, I could see your passion for this and just the conversational style to the questions that you're asking and and just your desire to want to do this. You, you are a fantastic podcast host. So thanks for having <laughs> me on the show and, and thanks for being an excellent host. Yeah, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Now, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Can can you let's give a plug to to your show. Yeah, so I started a, a YouTube channel uh, almost a year ago to the date, uh, just talking about industrial real estate. Uh, I'm not trying to sell anything on there. I, I, I don't have cheesy uh, commercials about a property that I'm walking through. It's just I'm just trying to share information about the industrial real estate industry. So if you just search up my name, uh, uh, it's industrial real estate is the channel. It's just my name, Chad Griffiths. Uh, or if someone wants to connect with me on LinkedIn, that's another great way as well. Uh, I'll, I'll, I think you have the link for that. Uh, but if you don't, I'll send yeah, it to you. And, and we'll, we'll put them in the bio down below. Awesome. Love it. Love it. Chad, thank you so much for your time. Uh, don't forget to vote. <laughs> And, uh, and we'll, we'll see you around next time on uh, the Leadership to Wealth podcast. Thanks again so much, Neil. Appreciate it. All right. Take care, Chad.